Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we've got a load of eyewitness accounts of the weekend's action. we got Matthew Marshall, who is, of course, not shy about spreading himself around Western Germany's football temples. He joins us again for a chat about what I think was a pretty fascinating week in the Bundesliga. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Really looking forward to it. Nice, nice, nice. Yes, this week we are going to cover teams who are riding high, teams who may or may not have a mentality problem. We're going to talk about a team who got off the mark after some tough, tough weeks. Lots, lots more after a short break. So uh, let's start with part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part where we talk about the best of the match day that just happened. This one was match day five. We often, of course, start at the top of the table. It's, uh, you know, kind of the done thing. But this week, it is a little bit different. We have Matthew Marshall on the podcast. And as you might know from previous appearances, this is a guy who stays busy. He gets around. He has been to four matches in the past week. And I think we want to play to his strengths, talk about the teams and matches he has seen lately. And the best place, as far as I'm concerned, to start is uh, with the last game that was on his plate this weekend, which was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Fortuna Dusseldorf. That was uh, an exciting one in Mönchengladbach. The Foles fought back from a goal down to beat Dusseldorf. Kasim Adams put Fortuna in front early, but Gladbach got two in the second half through substitute Marcus Turam. He made a big impression on the game, of course, despite only spending 23 minutes on the pitch. Matt, what did you make of this match and sort of the way things played out? It was it was definitely a game that kept the false fans waiting. Yeah, it was an incredibly exciting match, Matt. And of course, it came after that debacle in the Europa League where they got smashed 4-0 at home. So there was a bit of anxiety oh, yeah. around the stadium. They definitely wanted to, to win this one to, to erase some of those memories and didn't get off to a great start. As you mentioned, Casey Adams headed in. He came into the team for Fortuna. They had a slightly different formation than, than the previous match against Wolfsburg. And you know, they played really well. They're really organized. You know, Zach Steffen just continues to impress in goal. Fantastic goalkeeper. Really quite impressed with Lewis Baker from what I've seen. And they, they gave it to Borussia Mönchengladbach early on. They had the lead at half time, But then, yeah, it was all about Marcus Turan. Matty came on and he took seven minutes to equalize and then got the winner three minutes from time. Incredible. Great for him. You know, he's coming to the side over the summer. And I'm not sure if it really glosses over some of the deficiencies from, from Gladbach. It's still early days for Marco Rosa, of course. We've seen a little bit of tinkering. You know, we, we've seen Mbolo play behind the striker. He was leading the line here. We saw Patrick Herrmann come in into the side here. And yeah, it's still a long way to go. I'm, I'm, I'm still quite hopeful for him and, and, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. I just think they, their squad isn't maybe as deep as people thought. And, and throughout the season, especially in the first half with the Europa League commitments, we, we might see a few a few up and down performances. Yeah, I mean, you could hardly get a more down performance than the one that they had on Thursday uh, against Wolfsburg, the uh, Austrian side who just absolutely just destroyed them in Mönchengladbach. If I'm not mistaken, that was the worst home loss to an Austrian side that any Bundesliga team had ever suffered in Europe. And you know, for a new coach like that to basically open up his account in Europe after having put in really a lot of good European performances with his previous club, Red Bull Salzburg, this has got to put a little bit of pressure on him. I don't mean like getting fired sense or anything like that, but like 
pressure on him to sort of find a plan, find a best 11, and and sort of put it out there. It seems like he's still kind of wandering. Yeah, you can see that with the attack, Matt. You know, as I said, Mbolo was, was sort of playing a deeper role up front here. You saw Herman come onto the wing. Player, again, sort of mixes mix and matches between out wide and, and getting into that central striker position. He's got a few little problems, I guess, with Jonas Hoffman and Tobias Strobel. Injured, Lars Stindl continues. You know, he's been out for a long time now. I guess one of the good positives has been Lajlo Benes. You know, I always rated him really highly. Sure. And then he had his own injury problems. He was out for a long time, but he's come back and he, he's really almost a key player. You know, he played the 90 minutes midweek. He played 90 minutes here. He takes corners. He takes free kicks. Really good on the, on the through balls. Can, can really spot uh, the forward players and, and play them in on goal. So this is a guy with huge potential. And he offsets a little bit of that loss of, uh, of Quizants. So... You know, and we also uh, Kramer didn't play in this match. We've seen Zachariah playing that that deeper role. So a lot going on here. You know, he's 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 got another left back, which which Dieter Hecking really didn't have. And Stefan Liner, you know, he he's a really good player on the on the right uh, at right back. So look, there's a lot of lots of, lot of positives uh, playing wise uh, or, or in the squad. And he's just got to figure things out. And I'm sure we all know he's a very bright man and, and a good manager. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And you know, we're going to talk about this a lot early in the season. Matt, new managers coming in, they've got to figure things out. And this will be a, a theme we can we can apply to a lot of different clubs. Yeah, I want to circle back to what you were talking about with Zach Steffen, who really I feel like had Marcus Turam not gotten a late winner, uh, and Zach Steffen did everything he could to keep that one out. I mean, it was a you know, a situation where it was. Made maybe a third or fourth chance in, in succession, which finally went in for uh, Gladbach. But, you know, leaving that aside, if he had kept that, that goal out, you know, by hook or by crook, Zach Steffen would certainly have been the sort of man of the match, the hero of this match. He made a lot of saves. He's made a lot of saves in a lot of matches because Dusseldorf gives up a lot of good chances. Let's be frank about it. I mean, this could possibly be a really transformational buy or, or loan in this case for Dusseldorf because you know, if you look at their, you know, expected goals against and stuff like that, it, it, it's something like over 12. If this is a guy who sort of can shave a few goals off of that throughout the season, this could actually keep them in the league having Zach Steffen. Yeah, he's incredible, Matt. And you know, I was at the Wolfsburg game, so I've had back-to-back uh, Fortuna, Dusseldorf, you know, performances, and he's really, really impressed both times. I mean, just looking at his numbers will, will tell you that, but yeah, he's sensational. The only thing in the long term, you know, they couldn't they couldn't shell out the cash to, to get Luca Bacchio, so you would have to think this would be an almost identical situation in, in the long term. But for sure, for this season, I mean, compared to some of their goalkeeping problems last season, it's a massive, massive improvement in that area. And as I mentioned, Lewis Baker really adds something to their central midfield. They haven't got that many players out, really. Kevin Sturger was, was, was quite good last year. Morales is injured too. But yeah, you know, I think the more I see it, the more you can really throw Fortuna Dusseldorf into that Freiburg category. You know, they obviously don't have huge budgets. They, they're really well organized. You know, their managers come up with really good plans. And, you know, a lot of similarities with, with Funkel and, and Schleich. And yeah, you know, you can't see either of those teams. I know we'll talk about uh, Freiburg soon enough, but you know, you can't see them really establishing themselves in top half, but probably do enough to escape any relegation problems. Yeah, yeah, I, I reckon so as well. I mean, they 
I think as long as they can sort of keep that streak of, you know, competent performances or at least performances that are good enough for Zach Steffen to bail them out of, I think they should stay out of that conversation. I mean, they've conceded a couple of late goals as well. They've been a little bit unlucky, but, yeah. you know, the, the one thing I have mentioned in both of their games recently is where are the goals coming from, Matt? You know, who, last season you had Luca Bacchio and Benito Raman, Benito Raman yeah. with, with 10 goals each. Who, who's going to get you 10 goals here? You know, uh, they got some good players, some really handy players. Uh, Tommy, you know, all these guys are quite good, but are they really going to get you 10 or more goals? Uh, I don't see it happening. And, and that's why they'll probably be sniffing around the relegation, but, you know, in the end, probably uh, probably survive. Yep, yep. Just to talk about the, the loan situation with Stefan, I know it's a one-year deal, and, and similar to Luca Bacchio, anytime you're loaning from a, uh, a Premier League club, you're probably not necessarily going to have the money on the table to buy them, at least if you're a club like Dusseldorf. But, you know, looking at... Manchester City's goalkeeping situation as well as looking at their financial situation compared to that of Watford. You know, City just don't need the money for him. I don't know that they're going to want to sell him on the cheap, but I would not be surprised to see if they let him go out on loan for another year as long as uh, it's it looks like he's developing. So, you know, fingers crossed uh, he'll, he'll stick around in the Bundesliga for a while. Yeah, I mean, but each week he's, his value goes up, Matt, with these performances. <laughs> I don't know what he started at, but you know, he's easily added five or more million onto what what he was valued at before he before he put on the gloves at Dusseldorf. No doubt, no doubt. I, I think you know, maybe for good reason. I don't think a lot of European clubs value experience at the likes of the Columbus Crew. So maybe people are going to start taking him a lot more seriously as of uh, you know last week or the week before or the week before because he's he's doing very very well. Let's sort of switch gears. Let's talk about. One of the other games that you uh, made it out to this weekend and talk about some of the things that you saw there, as well as uh, what you saw from the same team at the same ground earlier in the week. That is uh, Bayer Leverkusen. They were 2-0 winners over FC Union, you know, the cult club of the league, which, you know, hopefully we'll get to see for more than just one year, but it's going to be very tough going for them. Lucas Alario and Kevin Folland got the goals for Leverkusen in a pretty routine win that was, you know, sealed scoreline-wise, at least, inside of half an hour. Union certainly didn't help themselves very much in their bid to come back into this game. Sebastian Poulter was sent off in the second half of this game for a pretty ugly challenge from behind. That's, in fact, Union's third red card in five games, which is not a great way to start off your league season if you're a promoted side. Matt, how, how easy was it for Leverkusen to have their way with Union in this match? Oh, way too easy. I mean, you know, this Leverkusen have become regulars at 70% or more possession. They didn't quite get there here, but it was uh, as one side of the game as you'll ever see. I was extremely disappointed with Union, and I just could not figure out for the life of me how this team could have possibly beaten Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. it was at home, but but if you saw this performance and and said that this team has just beaten Borussia Dortmund, who have just basically dominated Barcelona, I mean, you'd think uh, you'd think you were nuts. So, yeah, really disappointing away from home, and seeing that performance makes me think that they're not going to win any games on the road or, or, you know, or maybe one if they're lucky. And generally when that happens, you get relegated. You know, there's really nothing I can look at 
as a positive on, on, on the playing side, really. It was just terrible. They never looked like scoring. I know Poulter's red card was, was pretty, <laughs> yes, it's pretty much the worst thing you could possibly, it was their third sub as well. And he, you know, terrible challenge from behind on Baumgartlinga. So the, the only positive you could say is their fans were absolutely superb, Matt. They mm-hmm. came in numbers. They had a special train from Berlin. They, 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 were, they packed the joint out. Much bigger support than you see from from clubs that that are closer to to Leverkusen. But I, I'm, I'm struggling to find anything positive. I know Subotic was was suspended here, but unfortunately, I saw them. The only time I've seen them this season was in this match, and they were horrible. So um, I'm sorry for the Union supporters. I've got nothing. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a very puzzling situation in light of the fact that they got a pretty deserved win over Dortmund when they did so back at their home turf in Berlin. You know, Leverkusen away is is not a game that that many teams from the bottom half of the table look at as as a real opportunity to get something out of. Is there something fundamentally different that they could have done, or was this just basically that, that they were not capable of staying in this game? I mean, as you said, Leverkusen is a is a team that loves to keep the ball and you know has the skill to do so. I mean, is there anything that a team of limited resources and limited you know technical ability uh, could have done? In in a game like this, or was it just sort of a foregone conclusion for you? Well, you, yeah, you could have done what Paderborn did. Mm-hmm. I was at that game, first game of the season, and, and at least Paderborn kind of tried to tried. And yeah. the way they, they can do that is because they have faster players in the front line. And, you know, they keep them up there and they try and isolate the central defenders. And as soon as they win the ball, they, they pump it up there and they give themselves a chance to score. But Union really didn't give themselves any chances to score. You know, playing out from their own half into an attacking position was, you know, really not going to happen. So then you need some other sort of a plan. And as I said, you know, Paderborn obviously haven't haven't turned those uh, sort of ideas into wins, but at least you have a go and you give yourself a chance. But from what I saw here, you know, just, just had zero chance of getting anything from this match. You know, it's one thing to park the bus, but I guess when you're 2-0 down after 25 minutes, you've got to do something. And I guess it was Fisher did try to make a change at halftime and another change just after, after the break. But, you know, it was really, really not going to happen for them in this game. I'd like to see what happens with them for the future. But as I said, it's only a very small sample size from my perspective. This is just one game. And of course, at Leverkusen, you're not going to have much of the ball anyway. But just from what I saw Paderborn try and do, I mean, obviously seeing Lokomotiv get the win there, there's other things they might have done. But maybe, you know, the resources available to Fisher didn't really allow him to do that. Yeah, you just you just brought up Leverkusen's bad result in the uh, Champions League from earlier in the week. And I think we might as well talk about that a little bit since you've gotten to see Leverkusen twice in the space of, you know, five days or so. Lok Moscow were able to sort of pick Leverkusen off. That was a, a 2-1 win, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. You know, from you watching the run of play in that match, and, you know, it's very difficult for people who might be watching other Champions League matches on the night in that there's so many games happening concurrently, etc. I mean, not everybody who's listening to this podcast will have seen that match. They will have seen maybe just highlights. How surprised were you by that result? Did you find that it was, you know, an unlucky result? Was it due to sloppiness? Was it sort of, you know, a deserved one? Well, they shot themselves in the foot, Matt. You know, I mean, the first goal came from a throw-in in their own half that, that came off Leon Bailey straight to Joao yeah. Mario, and, and he fed in Kujoviak, who finished nicely. And there was so much sloppy passing in their own half. I mean, you already had Hadretsky, um give a ball away, you know, from a goal kick. You know, a short pass went astray. And then, of course, 
he did it again after that and straight to uh, Baranov, who a very nice finish. It wasn't the easiest to finish, but I mean, he, he, it was presented to him on a plate. So they shot themselves in the foot here with, with the two goals they conceded. But that's a bit of an issue for, for Leverkusen is, is beating good teams. You know, I mean, it's fine to, to smash Mainz and, and Augsburg and, and all these things, but inevitably when Leverkusen come up against good teams, they lose. And, and not only that, they lose big. You know, as we saw in the four-nil defeat at Dortmund. I mean, last season, if you if you look at the top six teams, or the other, you know, the, the other five teams in the top six, yeah. they won two and lost eight. That's in the in the Bundesliga. That is so. That just shows you that whenever they come up against teams in that top, you know, top upper echelon of the Bundesliga, they lose. You know, so it's no real surprise that it keeps happening. You know, whether it's a lot of those, admittedly, were under Hellish, but. You know, under boss, it, it, it kind of keeps happening. And, you know, he's well aware now that teams know that they're going to monopolize the ball. They're going to have a lot of possession. Obviously, Paderborn knew that in the first match. But what I find interesting, Matt, is when you see the European teams come to, to play Leverkusen, I saw it last year with Krasnodar, is that, I mean, obviously, all these teams have scouts, they have analysts that, that break things down. But what you find with the European teams, I think, is they really simplify what the dangers are. And obviously, here it's Havertz. So what they did was they packed a central midfield, really blocked any, any avenue for him to get to goal, you know, and, and kind of forced them out wide. And, you know, Havertz has had a lot of good chances to score. We know what a fabulous player he is. But what you're seeing now a little bit is, is a bit of a reaction from opposition teams, and, and they're sort of figuring out how to, how to shut him down. But, look, they're still a very good team, Leverkusen. They're still very good to watch. You know, we saw the, a slight adjustment from Boss against Union, bringing in Alario and shifting Bolin out to the wind. We've seen that combination work really well before, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll stick with that. I'm a big fan of Nadia Mamiri. You know, he came into the side here and played really well. I love his driving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a really exciting player. Always really rated him highly. But, you know, he's got a lot of players here, boss, and he needs to figure it out. Baumgartlinger's giving away a lot, a lot of ball. And he doesn't seem to trust those fringe players too much, you know. He, he seems to, to, to have his, have his favourite starting eleven. He dropped Jonathan Tah here, which was probably overdue. You know, I've, I've seen him get beaten for pace a lot. And he's, you know, I've been waiting three or four years for Jonathan Tah to sort of get to this next level, and it doesn't seem to be happening, unfortunately. So... As I said, still really exciting to watch, but Leverkusen have to start beating better teams, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's interesting what you you brought up there with having a, a quite a settled first eleven under Peter Bosch, or at least he sort of prefers certain players. And that's that's a very risky game to play when you play a fairly you know energetic style of of play. I mean, I know that keeping the ball can kind of help you not get as tired because you're not chasing the game as much. But if you have European commitments to deal with as the season wears on. That just seems like something that has a very, very high likelihood of coming back to bite him. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with a lot of these teams. It's still early days and they want to get momentum and a lot of a lot of teams have had European commitments and haven't really made that many changes. So it's not really too dissimilar from other teams, but you just think to yourself, you know, the likes of um, Musa Diaby, even, even Daly Sinkgrave and Mitchell Weiser's hardly getting a run in. So, you know, he's still got to find a way to squeeze uh, Kerem Demabai into this team and, and find the best position for him. He's got a lot, a lot of options. Of course, Leon Bailey was injured here and Bellarabi stayed on the bench. Bellarabi was really heavily involved against Lokomotiv. So he's got to figure it out. But unlike a lot of these other managers, Peter Boss has had, you know, enough time to already suss this squad out. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. It, it is funny because literally all of the players who you, you just mentioned is not getting as much time as you think that they might be capable of have already shown themselves to be, you know, well above average top flight players. So I don't know whether it's a system deal or whether it's simply that uh, they're not they're not fit or in form. But it, it, it does strike me as a bit funny that Peter Bosch can't find a, a way for any of those guys to get very much time. Let's talk a little bit about Eintracht Frankfurt. You saw them earlier in the week when they, you know, fell to Arsenal at home. They basically ran things back at home on the weekend against Dortmund and, you know, got a much more positive result. It was only a draw, but it was a draw that definitely felt like they sort of earned in that they went down twice to kind of a swarming Dortmund in the early in the first half and early in the second half as well. And then Dortmund sort of seemed to both miss some chances and then sort of let their heads drop and start to want to soak up pressure rather than to continue to drive forward. And Frankfurt seemed to be very pleased with that turn of events in both the first and the second half. Um, you know, Silva gets his, 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 what might be, what is was that his first Frankfurt goal since joining, or is this his second? Yeah, that was his first goal. Yeah, yeah he had it. a lot of chances against Arsenal, but this is his first goal for Eintracht. Yep. And then, as well as the uh, the own goal late in the game, when, uh, you know, Thomas Delaney got his leg in the wrong place. It was really an unfortunate situation for him in that, like, you could see that when the cross came in from the left from Martin Hinteregger, that, that Delaney was thinking about staying away from the ball at that point. He, he definitely wanted to let the ball run free through because he saw that there was nobody threatening. And then for some reason, when the ball came in the other direction, he decided that that was when he had to stick his leg in, despite the fact that he was a good meter or two closer to the goal. And it was an even riskier proposition. Anyway, really, this was, you know... A performance that clearly Dortmund had every chance to win. They had lots of chances in this game, just as they had lots of chances against Barcelona, just as they have lots of chances in most games that they play. But they only got one point out of this one. What do you make of where Dortmund stand early in the season? It's not like they have been, other than the Union Berlin game where they bizarrely drop points against a bad team, it's not like they have been necessarily putting in bad performances, but they're definitely sort of underselling themselves in terms of the points return that they're getting. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, some new signings, obviously, with Hummels coming in, Matt, and uh, Julian Brandt talking Hazard. So a few little adjustments to make there, but nothing major. And you would have thought that Someone like Hummels doesn't need a, need a lot of <laughs> need a lot of coaching, you know, to, to get used to things at, at Dortmund. So no real excuses for Lucien Favre there. Look, but this is what we saw a lot last season, Matt, where they couldn't hold on to leads and they were throwing away leads quite regularly. And this is just another example of that. You know, you can talk about mentality, you can talk about Favre's late game tactics. At the end of the day, they're throwing away leads. And, you know, you talked about it a little bit before where maybe they, they should kind of stay on the attack. It's only human nature to sort of sit in when you're trying to defend a lead. And, you know, the goal was maybe a little bit unlucky. But the way I see it, I haven't, I haven't seen Dortmund yet this season, Matt, but the way I see it and getting back to that Union victory against them, I honestly think it's as simple as Axel Witzel. You know, we talked about last year a lot of times how important central midfield is and, and how you know, if you lose a central midfield battle, you're basically, you're basically giving up the game. And when you watch Dortmund regularly, you know, Axel Witzel is just a beast. He just dominates the game. He dominates the team. He's at the heart of everything. So when I saw that result against Union and then I saw that Axel Witzel didn't play, I'm like, oh, okay, now it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But yeah, they should have definitely put this one away. But look, another thing, 
and this is a very simple thing, but I think it really applies to Dortmund, is just very, very simple, Matt. This is home and away. You know, we've just seen them, you know, really dominate Barcelona, although Barcelona are in a little bit of a a bad patch at the moment. This is simply home and away. I mean, if you look at last season, why they didn't win the league, they lost at Fortuna Dusseldorf, right? They, lo- they lost at Augsburg. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they couldn't beat Nuremberg. They couldn't beat Bremen. And this season, what has happened? They've already lost at Union, and, they, and they've just thrown away a lead here, right? So it's almost deja vu. It's almost exactly deja vu. And, yeah, for me, it's as kind of as simple as that. They threw away the, the Bundesliga last year with, with those performances, and they've already put themselves a little bit behind with, with some similar performances. So, I don't know, you've got the yellow wall pod guys and, and Abel Mejidosh who look into these things a lot more than me and crunch the numbers, and I'm sure there's some theories getting thrown out there. Obviously, uh, Marco Royce is pretty pissed off yesterday with the... The line of questioning. <laughs> the mentality uh, bullshit. What is it? What's the explanation? I mean, as I said, Bitzel was playing in this game, and I don't know, you could, you could talk all day about it and try and find excuses, but for me, it's as simple as home and away. They're, they're two different teams, home and away. And again, if you want to look at that Axel Bitzel importance, don't, don't discount it at all, Matt. And, and for me, he's just hugely influential and, and holds his team together. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and, and like I said, I mean... That, that was clearly their worst performance of the season. He was missing. And this game, they did everything necessary to win the game other than be able to hold a lead in, in the late going. And, you know, he played and played well and, and, you know, opened the scoring. Getting back to what you just mentioned about Marco Reus, because I think this is really, you know, <laughs> one of those goofy storylines that sort of both capture the attention of the press, not only because it involved a prominent player sort of getting hot under the collar in front of a camera, which is, you know, basically what happened. He was approached after this game by a reporter for Sky, the local broadcaster in Germany, asking if if this was a mentality problem. Uh, and of course, <laughs> as soon as that was brought up, he was like, you're going to come at me with this mentality bullshit? You're really going to do that? And it sort of created a, a nervy moment in front of the cameras, which is always something that, that captures the imagination. But not only that, but it also sort of is an implicit criticism as to how newspapers and television broadcasters cover the Bundesliga, especially teams like Dortmund, who have a propensity for getting in their, their own way. In my mind, yes, he has every reason for getting after a reporter for bringing up something like mentality, which is, you know, one of those sort of ineffable shorthand qualities that I think a lot of outside observers likes to ascribe to football teams when they don't have a lot of inside insight. I mean, he could have just as well approached him and said, you know, is it all about your bad finishing, either you or the rest of your team? Because let's face it, both Royce and others had chances to put this game away. And maybe that would have gotten him a little bit less upset. But then again, maybe in that it was him missing chances, maybe it wouldn't. Do you think he had every right to sort of, you know, lose his rag a little bit? Well, firstly, Matt, I don't envy, number one, the, the reporters that have to ask players questions after defeats or after results like this that kind of feels like a defeat. And Mm -hmm. I certainly don't envy players having to answer the questions. It's just one of those almost unfortunate parts of the business where, you know, it's just expected on on both sides. And, you know, you'll get these situations every now and then where it kind of blows up and and the the reporter maybe, I'm not going to say it was a silly question because it's it's a really tough job to, to talk to players after matches, but 
Royce is obviously frustrated. You know, he missed the penalty against Barcelona, and you know he takes a lot of the a lot of the responsibility with this team on his shoulders. You know, and 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 I'm sure they were devastated. So, look, it's just it's just one of those things that happens. You know, football is such a fine margin game at times. You know what I mean? You saw with Freiburg on the weekend late on, and such fine margins change the the entire result of the game, and not only the result, how you're feeling after it, how your thousands and thousands of supporters are feeling about it what we're saying on, on podcasts and, and other news outlets, whatever it is. So at the end of the day, you've always got to remember that, that it's very fine margins. You know, Delaney gets a little bit more on it. It goes over. They're celebrating a win. And that question isn't even asked. So at the end of the day, it's just one of those things. But for sure, you know, Dortmund are frustrated. You know, I, I like to sort of look at things a little bit outside the box, Matt, because from what I, I, I see and hear, everything is just so mainstream a lot of the time. And you hardly see any criticism of Lucien Favre at all, you know. But from what I've seen, sometimes he's a bit guilty of overcoaching. I remember one situation at home game, I don't remember who it was against, but they were defending a free kick, lining up a wall. It was a deep free kick. I think it might have been that Hoffenheim game, but Favre was just going ballistic on the sidelines, yelling at all these players, do this, do that, no, no, I don't like this, change. And all these players are looking at him going, well, what's going, what do you want? What was, you know, they're about to take a free kick here, and he's just going, no, no, do this, do this, do that. Why do you just don't need that sort of confusion, man? You've got to be organized. You've got to know what you're doing. And I really don't like to see that sort of stuff, that, that confusion and players sort of go, what, you know what I mean? You just don't need that stuff. And they conceded from that free kick. Um, so, look, Lucien Favre's a great coach, no doubt. But maybe some of these issues, as I said, with the away from home stuff and, and throwing away these leads is, is maybe down to him. Yeah, yeah. I think that that has been a bit of a tag that has followed him throughout his career, that he lacks a little bit of the sort of uh, emotional sensitivity or even situational sensitivity to know when to sort of coach, 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 explain, 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 and when to just sort of chill. So, you know, I, I hope for Dortmund's sake and for the sake of the title race this year that that doesn't become an issue going forward. And this this is a, a vibrant team that lives up to the expectations that they have, because let's face it, they were huge. A lot of us were picking them to win the league and looked at this squad and thought, man, they've got a very, very good chance to do something big. But I'm afraid that might become a theme as we move forward if, if we keep seeing results like this. Just to sort of t wrap this first half of the podcast up, I wanted to ask a somewhat broader question, which sort of keys into the, both the games that you saw at midweek in Europe, as well as some of the others that, that you didn't see. This comes from Brian Sanders. He mentions that both Leverkusen and Frankfurt, and you could also really add uh, Gladbach to this list, of course, had pretty disappointing results at midweek, everybody losing at home, but everybody either got a win or or a draw in the Bundesliga at the weekend, also at home. Which teams do you see balancing Europe and their league commitments best this season? And which, which do you see as having difficulty? Good question, Matt. I guess from what I saw yesterday, I'm a little bit skeptical on, on Gladbach's depth, yep. you know, especially in defense. Um, you saw Janschke get the start yesterday and then Nico Elvedi come in. And uh, even Ginter's looked a bit susceptible lately. So I'm a little bit skeptical on, on their squad depth. Leverkusen, obviously, that was their easiest match. And they had to win that match because you've got, they've got to go to Moscow now and they've got the double header against Atletico and Juventus. So look, they could be out of it in a few games and then, you know, kind of just play those last few games for free. Um, I still do think they have a lot of depth, but 
as I said, you know, boss, maybe his rotation needs to, to sort of change a little bit, but it's still very early days, as we have to mention. And what was the other team? Frankfurt, Sorry, yes. uh, Frankfurt. Yeah, um, yeah, I was at the Arsenal game. Look, they had a lot of chances to score, Matt. A lot, a lot of chances. Uh, Andre Silva had a lot of chances. Kostic was excellent. They did this, couldn't quite get over the line. And they were, they were in, you know, in the game pretty much until Dominic Corr got sent off. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, they were in a massive transition because Haller, you know, Jovic... Rebic all gone, and you've got now Pacienza, Silva, and Baz Dost. And also, you've got new central midfielders, man. You've got Dominic Kaur, Digibril Sol, Eric Durham played yesterday. So there's a lot, a lot of new pieces in this team, and it might take a little bit of time for, for Adi Hutter to kind of sort it out and, and find his best, best options. Obviously, you've got Kamada who's come in as well, so he's another guy who has to get used to things here. You know, but you'd have to say that they've got a much, you know, Leverkusen's schedule in Europe is, is much more tough uh, than the other two teams. So, really, really tough question, man. I don't even know if I've got an answer, but hopefully my little, <laughs> my little quick analysis of the three teams helps out uh, the listener's question. No, no, I, I think you're right on the mark in that both Leverkusen and to maybe slightly lesser extent Gladbach, because, you know, their Europa League group is you know, a little bit less predictable. But, you know, looking at a home match against Lok, Moscow, which is clearly the weakest opponent that they're going to face in this group, if you can't get any points out of the home match, you're probably done. Unless unless there is some sort of crisis going on at either Atletico or, or Juventus moving forward, or, or if, you know, Leverkusen hit a real purple patch with someone who just can't stop scoring. It just seems to me that they're done before they started. And, if you look and, at their schedule, sorry, Matt, I mean, yeah. they've got to go to Juventus and then the next match is in Madrid. So they've got two away games, mm-hmm. you know, as dangerous as they can be. It might suit them in a way, not to play on the counter, but, you know, you, you, you're really hard-pressed to think, see them getting anything from those two games. And then that would be zero points after three games. So... You know, it's really tough to see Leverkusen getting out of that group now. They really, really had to get a win in that first match. So that's probably going to have a big influence on on how they approach the last few games. And I guess there's also that, you know, finishing third and getting into the Europa League thing also we have to think about. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens with uh, with Leverkusen against the better teams. And and any any thoughts about Dortmund moving forward, having sort of lost the chance to to get a bit of an advantage over Barcelona after missing a penalty and a number of other chances in in a pretty strong performance? I think they'll they'll still do quite well. You know, this was uh, a game they really should have won. They're they're so strong at home. You know, I would expect them to beat Inter and, and certainly Slavia Prague at home. But a lot of it might come down to their next match. They really have to beat Slavia Prague, who showed that they can. You know, they're they're no no mugs. You know, they played really well against Inter. Mm-hmm. So a lot will probably ride on that that next match they have in uh, in Prague. As Dortmund are another team that have their next two games on the road. And Inter, you know, they've got the new manager there. They got some some. They've upgraded their squad, so they're going to be tough to beat. So. A lot's going to ride on that next game in in, uh, in Prague for Dortmund. All right. Super. Let's leave that aside. Let's leave part one of the podcast aside, take a quick break, and come back with the rest of Match Day 5. All right. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of Match Day 5. Oddly enough, we now have uh, the top of the table games to talk about. Probably going to be talking about them in much more brief form than we usually do, but, you know, those just weren't the games that Matthew Marshall, our guest this week, was at. We can talk, however, about RB Leipzig's 3-0 win in 
Bremen. I mean, Werder don't really make a habit of picking up 3-0 losses at the Weserstadion, but they definitely were given more than they could handle when Leipzig came by for a game. Leipzig, of course, are, are leading the league. They are sort of setting the pace in the Bundesliga. Willi Orban, Marcel Zabitzer, and Marcelo Saracci scored, or Saraki? Yeah, Saraki. It's an Italian name. Why not? Scored for the visitors against the, uh, you know, hardworking but ultimately doomed and injury-decimated hosts. Do you have any thoughts on Leipzig and their early good form? They've, you know, got off the mark in the Champions League. They are setting the pace in the Bundesliga. Some folks are saying they have what it takes to sustain a, a title challenge through the season. Are you are you convinced? I thought they were, they, they were in with the title shout before we kicked the ball this season. I think as soon as they announced that Nagelsmann was taking over, then Leipzig were in discussions about winning the title, Matt. You know, uh, I think, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why it sort of took this long for, for them to be in that discussion. They've got a super team. They do great work in the transfer market, you know, in Kunku, why no one else went for him. I've got no idea. And you've also got Timo Werner, who, you know, we've seen how devastating he can be in recent weeks. His speed is incredible. His finishing is unbelievable. And this is a really, really... Very, very good team, Matt, you know, who have depth all over the place. They can cover injuries without much trouble. Upa Makano has just come back in. So this is a team that can definitely go a long way. They got the job done in Lisbon against Benfica, although Benfica is slightly under strength, but still picked up the win there. And this was no surprise at all, was it? Because Werder Bremen, you know, obviously Kofeld's answering questions about their medical, you know, regime or something because it's just unbelievable how so many players can go down and you know they're really bare bones at the moment so they had really little chance against Leipzig in this match but you know Leipzig are scoring plenty of goals they got the the important draw against uh, against Bayern last week that was hugely important to, to get something from that match and you know they're they're winning and, and winning well you know they beat Eintracht not much difficulty with 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 Gladbach yeah, as I said, Benfica, Bayern. So they they played already some some pretty handy teams. Unlike some of the other teams that are up near the top of the table that have really been been lucky with with easy uh, an easy schedule. You know, Leipzig have, have had some some pretty difficult games and they've come through. And you know, they regularly score two or more goals. So look, there's a lot to like about it on the pitch. Nagelsmann, of course, and I'm, I'm really not surprised at all that they're up there, you know, and they'll be fighting for the title for a long way this season. Yeah, yeah. it's. It, I think you made a very nice point that you look at their opponents, I mean, other than that opening day win against Union, which, you know, you can't ask for more than beating a bad team bad, but they've played basically all teams who are, you know, expecting to be at least top half, if not European competing teams through the season. And other than that draw with Bayern, they have beaten everybody. So I think that they are a team that's really going to be reckoned with. And in the coming weeks when that schedule lets up just a little bit, I mean, they do have another game against Leverkusen to, to come in, in the next few weeks as well against Wolfsburg. But they will be probably sitting very, very pretty come the winter break as long as they don't have serious injury problems. Speaking of injury problems, Werder Bremen, you made brief reference to them. Let's talk about it in slightly more depth. They've had, you know, Velkovic, Langkamp, Moisander, Augustinsson, and Toprak. That was, you know, sort of the first couple of games they found themselves in that situation. Their entire defense, you know, decimated. 
everyone was talking about how they didn't have any center backs, how they didn't have much cover. They were, they're putting, you know, fullbacks into the center. They're bringing midfielders back into the central defense. It's not really working. Then <laughs> their, their attack, you know, first Yuya Osaka, and then finally uh, Nicholas Fulkrug, who, you know, had an ACL tear this week in training. He's out for the season. That's basically, I think, more than half of their goals this season came from Osaka and Fulkrug. This could be a really, really long season for them. It's definitely eclipsed their wings. This was a team that came into the season with a lot of expectation to try and, you know, make a somewhat more credible challenge for Europe. But I think they're going to have a a really rough go, despite the fact that I I like this team. I like this coach. I think that they have a lot to offer. But, you know, if you don't have healthy players, it's it's not going to go well for you. Yeah, it's an absolute disaster. There's there's no other way to put it. You know, they lost a hugely influential player in Max Cruiser. And you, you put all that together and it, it's, it's not good. You know, the only thing fortunate for them is that they managed to beat Augsburg and Union, which was hugely important because, you know, they've got to go to Dortmund next and then Eintracht. So, you know, and they've got to go to Leverkusen as well at the end of October. So they've got three really tough away matches coming up in October, although the next one's in the end of September. But yeah, they just got to somehow get through this try and keep a little bit away from the relegation zone and then, you know, get the bodies back and then get to safety. Yep. Yep. And, you know, we were, we were blowing wet kisses to, uh, you know, U.S. men's national teamer Zach Steffen earlier in this podcast. And now we're going to have to to bring out the stick and say, Josh Sargent, if there's ever a time for you to start playing well, it is now because uh, Verde don't have a lot of other options up front. And now's the time, son. Yeah, I mean, that's the one, one little positive you can take from it is that some of these young players will get a chance. We saw Benjamin Gola start up front with, with Sargent. But really, you know, when you're looking at uh, Gross, 30-year-old in central defense who hardly gets a game, this is ugly. You know, it, it's just terrible. Really bad luck for Kofeld and his team. And I think uh, thoughts and prayers are with Werder Bremen at this point in time, Matt. Let's talk about the other team close to the top of the table. That would be FC Bayern München. They were 4-0 winners over Cologne. This is another easy one for the defending champs there. You know, looking more and more comfortable around their new midfield creator, Philippe Coutinho. Robert Lewandowski, he, he, he ate first, as he likes to do. He got two goals on the day. But he was, of course, generous enough to give the Brazilian a chance to take a penalty, get his first Bayern goal. Coutinho did twice, as it happens, because uh, an encroachment made him retake the penalty, which he scored again. I thought there was really a number of, of nice things from, from Coutinho in this game. He set up Paris's goal to make it 3-0. He had uh, another good through ball to Lewandowski, which Lewandowski didn't quite finish off in the first half. I mean, do you think that there's good signs thus far that this is a, 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 a buy that's going to work? Yeah, I do, Matt. I think that some of his problems at Barcelona was probably just just a positional thing, you know. We saw him play a, a couple of positions uh, at Liverpool, but it looks like um, Kovac has just said, you know what, just sit in that 10 spot, sit behind Lewandowski, you know, do your thing. You're going to have these wingers outside. You obviously got, got Lewandowski there and just do your thing, you know, pretty much just just coming in for um, James Rodriguez. But yeah, this has got tremendous potential, Matt. You know, you've got Toluso, who's back as basically a new signing now. So yeah, it's tremendous potential here. Again, we have to keep in, in note the, the level of opposition that, that Bayern have been, been playing. You know, they perform quite well in, in Leipzig, but there's just so much more depth now. You know, you've got Pavard who's come in, which means Kimmich is playing a lot in central midfield. You've also got uh, Hernandez that can cover for Alaba on the left wing. 
Um, obviously, you know, Perisic has come in and he's done really well against, again, you know, very limited opposition. But, you know, all the signs are pretty good. Thomas Muller can't get much of a game. I'm not sure if that's a, like a formation thing, depending on what Kovac is trying to do. Smart signing and Quizons probably won't play so much, but, you know, that was one of Hecking's failures, I thought, not giving him more time last season. So a lot to like about what they've done in the transfer window. And, yeah, Coutinho, you know, he's got the ability to just to completely take over games in that position, and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more from him and from Bayern. Yep, yep. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they do moving forward when their opposition gets a lot, little stronger, both in the league and in the Champions League. It's, you know, no shade to Red Star Belgrade, but that's not going to be one of Bayern's bigger tests in the Champions League, a home match against uh, a Serbian side. Let's talk about Schalke and Mites. Uh, that was a, a 2-1 win for Schalke on Friday night. I thought it was a somewhat fortunate win on the back of another big game from Amin Arit, who set up Swat Serdar in the first half and then scored, you know, <laughs> a stunning 90th minute Trivella winner that sent Schalke fans home in, in ecstasy. Schalke, they're they're getting points in this young season. They are up and around the European places. They haven't necessarily outplayed their opponents by much. What do you make of them under David Wagner so far? Well, I think he simplified things a little bit, and I'm really happy that that Harit is doing well because yeah. you know last season I was just crying out for for Tedesco to to you know give him a more prominent role. He was always the guy. Yeah, I thought it was crazy. Do this. He's one of their only truly yeah. creative players. Yeah, he's got that bit of magic. I mean, you know, he did have that off-season drama. Yeah, for sure. So there was probably a fair bit going on off the pitch that we didn't know about. But still, you know, that was one of Tedesco's big, big mistakes is, is not giving Harit more more of a, a prominent role in this team and letting him, you know, do his thing. And you can see that, he, you know, he's got the ability to bring teammates into the play. He's, he's got that fear factor when he runs at the fences. They get scared. You know, they split up. And uh, he brings a lot to the table, and I'm really happy for him and also for David Wagner because, you know, he's, I think, university-liked. I think, you know, most people have a lot of respect for his, his ability as, as a manager. And there hasn't been a whole lot of changes here, really. You know, you've, you've seen, obviously, John Joe Kenny come in at right back and, and Caligiuri push up. But really, there isn't a whole lot of uh, changes squad-wise, you know, so... That's a thing. Just simplify, which what Tedesco had to do all along. Uh, Mascarell's getting a bit of a, a good run in the team, which he always needed because he was in and out, in and out, in and out, like everybody else. And, you know, Serdar has shown that he can play very well in that box-to-box role and he can become a bit of a goal threat. I'm still really surprised they they got rid of Mbola. I don't know what was going on there and left themselves with Burgstaller and, and Oot. But that's another story for another day. But, look, again... You know, good on Schalke, but you know Wagner's still very much picking up the pieces of, of you know some some pretty ordinary recruitment. And again, Matt, look who they've played. You know, they beat Hertha at home. No disrespect. Then they beat Paderborn and Mainz. So, <laughs> well, Hertha you know, did everything they could to give them those three points in that game. Yeah. So look, there's a long way to go. They've got to go to Leipzig next up. So we'll see how they do there. But you know, these fans in 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 Gelsenkirchen have been you know long suffering, and, and I just hope that. You know, they can have a bit of an upturn in form and start to get some more some more of these wins and some more exciting performances because last season was really a bit of a horror show, Matt, for Schalke. Yep, yep. Let's 
turn our attention before we go to the last two games in the uh, agenda. Uh, one of the games, uh, as you, if you, if you're counting on your fingers, and maybe you are, you you would know that there are three more games in the match day. One of them, unfortunately, is taking place after we record this podcast. You know, when Monday games happen, sometimes that happens. I'm sure we'll find a chance to talk plenty about Wolfsburg and uh, Hoffenheim in in subsequent episodes. But we just won't cover them here. Freiburg and Augsburg play to a one-one draw. Lukas Hüller, a powerfully built, stubbly German with a thick, aggressively parted, sandy, blonde haircut, <laughs> open the scoring. And then Augsburg even the score through Florian Niederlechner, a powerfully built, stubbly German with thick, aggressively parted, <laughs> sandy, blonde hair. I mean, he used to play at Freiburg himself in Hüller's position, of course. There can only be one it seems. And really, this has been a, a beneficial move. We talked about Niederlechner last week getting a, a better run in, in Augsburg's side, and that seemed to have benefited him. He's, he's really on a tear to start this early season and definitely saved Augsburg from a, a loss here in Freiburg. You mentioned Freiburg earlier as being a team who you don't think can really sustain a top half, much less European challenge. However, this is a team that you think has nothing to do with the uh, relegation fight. Was there anything that you felt was um, telling about this game, the fact that they couldn't get a better result out of a home match against Augsburg? Yeah, I expected them to win this game, Matt, and just having watched the highlights a little earlier, I mean, they had glorious chances late on. Herfler hit the post, and he was mm-hmm. you know, really good chance to score. Pedersen hit the post as well. Mm-hmm. All these are both, you know, in, 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 the, in the final few minutes, so... You know, really unlucky, you'd have to say, from that point of view. I really like Freiburg. I love the place. I love the the stadium, although they're moving soon. You know, love the manager, as I'm sure a lot of people do. And I'm, I expected them to get off to a strong start this season because I think when it comes to schedules, as we mentioned before, and paying note of who you've been playing, it just hasn't been... It couldn't have got any easier. You know, Mainz at home, Paderborn away, Köln at home, which they lost... Hoffenheim away, who are really struggling at the moment, and then Augsburg at home. I mean, it just doesn't get any easier than that, Matt, with your first five games. And you'd have to say a little bit disappointing losing to Köln and not winning this game. As high-flying as they are, you know, you really do have to take the level of opposition into account. But I love what they're doing. I was talking up Baldschmidt last season, Matt, if you remember, and then he went and um, top-scored at the under-21 Euros. Yeah. You still got Grifo to come into this team. Quite a lot of options. You know, Hurler, as you mentioned, he can come in and get a goal. So, you know, Steich has to kind of still figure out his best his best uh, formation and starting eleven. But he's not that far away, and I'm sure they'll still you know surprise some people here and there. But for sure, you know, they're going to drop down the the Bundesliga table, and you know, you'll probably see you know. 12th, 13th, 14th, something like that by the end of the season, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Eh, I think they might have a chance for a little bit more than that, but I think you're probably right. This is going to be a, a mid-table at best situation for them moving forward. Let's talk about last but not least, certainly not least, because of course it, it features my team, who I probably talk about in an inordinate amount on this podcast, so we are actually kind of backloading Hertha uh, this <laughs> week uh, in, in compensation, perhaps. Uh, they actually did get a win on the weekend, which is something they hadn't managed uh, earlier in this season. After that big opening day draw in Munich, they just lost and lost and lost. Uh, it was a 2-1 home win over Paderborn. It was um, punctuated by, you know, uh, what was 
certainly one of the goals of the weekend, uh, Javiral Durilson's sort of crazy slaloming run through, I don't know, five or six defenders on the edge of the box before getting himself one-on-one with a keeper and scoring. Once again, we saw another, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Really, really dumb sort of lapsed coverage moment to allow Paderborn to score in this game before, you know, Hertha had already sort of put themselves up, I guess, 2-0. Hannes Wolf getting the second goal. Great to get three points out of this. I still don't feel very good about Hertha, or I feel kind of non-committal, let's just say, because I actually think this was <laughs> one, of their, one of their less good performances on the season. I mean, they were outplayed in certain phases of this game. I felt that when you're basically setting yourself up to play at home against a team like Paderborn and you want to sort of give them the ball and force them to do something with it and try and beat them on the counter, which seemed to be the the, the game plan. I don't know. It It just, once again, I felt like they were just sort of trying to get a little too cute and and we're not trying to sort of take advantage of the advantages that they do have in the squad that they have vis-a-vis Paderborn. I don't know. I kind of thought Hertha were unfortunate to suffer those two 3-0 defeats at home against Wolfsburg and away at Schalke. Yeah. They yeah. were definitely... They were fine in both of those games. Yeah, they were disproportionate to their performance. But, you know, and then obviously they gave up that late goal in Mainz. But look, these stats from this match. I don't know if you watched them, but these stats are ugly from Hertha. I mean, (laughs) six shots to 18. and it was ugly. Hertha have, sorry, Paderborn had 61% possession and eight corners to one. I mean, that's alarming. And if you want to go XG route, I mean, uh, Hertha just under one and Paderborn 1.8. I mean, so if you want to just look at it from a, just, you know, stats point, point of view, it's ugly. I'm looking forward to seeing them next week because I haven't, you know, obviously, I don't. One of the teams I don't watch that often, but you know, the jury has to be out on Ante Trovic. But you know, when you look through this squad, Matt, there is no excuse. I mean, obviously, they're not going to be in a relegation uh, drama, but this this is a pretty good squad. You know, I remember watching uh, Dil Rosen on his debut at Schalke last year, and I, and I I had really high hopes for him. Unfortunately, he got injured, but. You know, I'm not surprised that he's come back and already making a bit in, a big impact. I, I always liked Marius Wolf. You know, that was a slightly curious move to, to Dortmund, but hopefully he's found a nice home there. And of course... Oh, and thank you for calling him Marius, because I called him Hannes earlier in, in, <laughs> in my talk, which, uh, you know, is not his right name. <laughs> no worries. And Marco Grijic, another guy I, I, I had high reps on from the first time I saw him last season and, and thrilled that they managed to secure him. On another year, you know, we saw what Duda could do last year. We've got Zelka still trying to get to that next level, but Abisovic still a pretty handy option. Luka Bakio, of course, didn't even, didn't even get off the bench in this game. Obviously, they have some pretty big, big issues in defense. You know, they, they've looked pretty wide open a lot of times and then some pretty silly mistakes in defense. So, look, if this doesn't work out, this is purely down to, to Chovic, I would say. And, you know, and to, uh, to the, the director there, I can't say, Preitz, Mikael Preitz, because, you know, he obviously gave uh, Dardai the boot and has brought in Chovic. And they really consider themselves as this European chasing team. They got that big financial boost you know, at the beginning of the season. So there's just no excuses here, Matt, to be, to be throwing these sort of at home against Paderborn. I, I, do, I, I looked at the stats. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I'd like to watch this whole game just to try and figure out how it happened. But, you know, hopefully they can get out of this hole and, and uh, get some more consistency. But it has to happen fast, Matt. 
Yep, I think this is a team very much under the gun. The fact that they knew that they were under the gun in terms of the results that they had not been able to get, I think, played a strong influence on the way that they sort of decided to game plan for this game, which is to say to to, to not seek to have very much possession. But the fact that that was already the case in the fifth game of the season and that that whatever plans Chovich sort of developed through the preseason, which seemed to be pretty much 180 degrees antithetical to what they just showed on Saturday, is a really worrying sign. I mean, I... I said last week that I I think it's very, very premature for people to be calling for this guy's head uh, at this stage in the season. And I thought that this would be a test, this game, in terms of getting a result. But if if he passed that test, he passed it with a very low pass, let's just say. Yeah, I mean, this is a good squad, Matt. You know, they lost Lazaro, who was a really good player, but they've done some some pretty sharp recruitment. And, and, you know, Dilrosan is basically like a new signing. So... There's just no excuses, no excuses at all to, you know, I'm not, not sure they can really, really threaten for uh, for Europe. Uh, they, they might go close, but, you know, there's really no excuse not to um, not to finish in, in the top half and at least get close to, to Europa League uh, contention. Indeed. Well, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. It is really nice to have you back on the pod, Mr. Marshall. I hope you, you had fun. As always, mate, really appreciate the invitation. Super, super. You you will be coming back on the show for sure, probably in November from what we uh, what we have decided just before we re- the broadcast. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at Noobs Corp and read his work on Get German Football News as well as Football Grad, among other outlets. If you want to reach me, you can do that at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods. Do leave us a rating. It is a huge, huge help. Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo. They'll be back later in the week. They'll be prepping you for Match Day 6. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.